friends, and welcome to the Afrofuturist Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed Best, and we are here on assignment. This is our first away assignment uh, in Oakland, California, at a space called Dynamic Land. And um, we're here with Toby Shockman and Paula Tay. And I just have to say, like, the first minute I walked into here, I felt like this was a place that I belonged because um, I really have dreams of being in environments that are not only kind of living and evolve, but that are open to different ways of thinking, especially when we talk, start talking about like science and technology. And one of the things about Dynamic Land that I really love was, and this is something that I see and, and I try to do in my everyday life is when things are extremely complicated, I try to destigmatize those things. Right. And I feel like a way we do the a way we keep a lot of people out of certain parts of society is to make things a lot more complicated than they actually are. Um, and my first impression of dynamic land is that's what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to destigmatize technology in a way that is accessible. Yeah. It's a really good kind of summary of, like, I guess, part of our part of our vision. Um, uh, we can dive right into it and, and say, and for me, what I, I, I feel is um, it, um, is kind of reiterating what you're saying is that um, the the materiality that we're working with. So dynamic land is a um, it's a community space and it's also a research lab. And we're two researchers out of the six researchers that work here, um, whose vision uh, we're, is to create a humane dynamic medium that is uh, accessible to all people. And um, in that vision, we're creating this community space called Dynamic Land, where we're actually working, uh, creating a com computer that is a building, where that is um, part of the environment rather than um, screens or um, keyboards or, or other mainstream notions of computers um, that um, are more isolating, that are part of this consumerist sort of, um, this uh, consumerist sort of uh, philosophy where you have to buy a technology in order to, to participate in it. Uh, what we're trying to do is create this community space and this environment where people can come in and um, make make anything they want with any kind of material. You can make uh, um, you can make an activity with paper and pen if you if you want to do that. You can make an activity with socks if you if you choose to to use that material. Um, we're really trying to create a, a, a platform that embraces all modalities of creation. So. Let's unpack this term humane um, because it, 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 it's very strong in your mission statement. And, and when you first walk into Dynamic Land, you have these two pictures right at the top of the stairs. And one is um, what we classically think of as a technological learning space, which is, you know, everybody wants to put on the VR glasses and everybody wants to throw on a good app on the on the tablet. And then your picture, which is a bunch of kids at a table throwing papers down on a table. What is the difference and why do you call it humane? 
yeah i mean that's the that's something that we're we're always trying to unpack what 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 do we mean by humane um the i think the way that i've been thinking about it is there there's sort of three three aspects that that i really latch on to the first one is the communal aspect so using computers traditionally is a very solitary isolating activity we don't think of it as a communal activity the way that we think of like if we're cooking a meal together that's a communal activity or if we're singing and dancing together that's communal so how could um how could computing look more communal in in that sense how could it look more like cooking a meal um and that's that's also important too in terms of um making the technology accessible to people because that's how people learn together right i mean you learn you learn how to cook by cooking together with other people yeah um but currently we don't learn how to program that way which is a shame i think um so that's the first aspect communal the second aspect is having creative agency um so the default technology world divides people into you've got these developers who put their software on the app store and then everyone else just has to buy whatever the developers make for them once they've bought it they can't change it to fit their needs they just have to use whatever is given to them and and it sort of creates this this attitude of helplessness on the part of people using software we want a world where everyone has the creative agency to make the software for their own life for their own needs or um aspirations or whatever they want to do um so the the way that i sometimes talk about it is like we need to be shooting for a dynamic medium where we achieve universal literacy um we we feel ashamed if the entire population of the world can't read and write like we we really aspire to that and there's you know we say there's no reason that we shouldn't have universal literacy in that static medium so the this this new dynamic medium that has been sort of was born say 50 years ago and is be going to become just as important in humanity the the future of humanity as writing should also be something where we strive to achieve universal literacy rather than having this scribal culture of you've got the developers who are 2% of the population everyone else can't express themselves in this medium and then the final bit about what we think of as a humane medium is that it respects the entire human body and all of the all of uh, uh humans like ways of thinking and ways of um working with their body um so that's why we've built dynamic land is it's all about using the entire space so you know we we get up and walk around usually a computer never tells you to the computer sort of puts you in this horrible posture where you're leaned over and the it just keeps your attention and you never get up you never look around but Dynamic land is all about noticing the world around you. It's not about getting lost in a virtual screen. Do you any want to add to that, Paula? What brought you both of you? What brought you here to Dynamic Land and what was your experience like before this that really solidified the culture of this place? Do you want to go first or you want me? All right. So, um I guess 
Um, so I, I started using computers at an early age. I was very uh, sort of a self-taught kind of person, which is really what technology culture um, is biased towards right now. Like if you're if you learn well by working with other people or, or learning from others, like computer programming is is better geared towards the person who's going to sit in their basement for hours on end and like teach themselves with the computer, right? So like I, I was one of those people in in my early life and then I ended up going to art school um, after after doing I went to MIT for math and computer science but then after that got sort of burnt out on it went to art school to focus on like you know making art which was always a hobby of mine but I wanted to spend two years just like that would be my concentration and when I when I went there, that was in, in New York at a program called ITP at NYU, which is a really interesting sort of scrappy art technology um, program that, that has a really diverse group of students. And that was like, I think the first time that I, it, I really understood at a deep level that there are people who think in different ways and that it's really valuable to be able to collaborate with them. Um, I was just meeting so many people who are so intelligent in, you know, spatially or in um, understanding how their body moved and things like that. And I was just exposed to all these different new thinking styles. And as part of ITP, everyone sort of learns how to program because it's sort of a technology and art program. And I was helping these people learn how to program, you know, for their projects or whatever. And I just got really frustrated with the how inflexible the programming world is in terms of like accommodating these other ways of thinking. Mm. And so that's what really set me off on like, all right, I need to like, let's you know, can we rethink programming so that it it's um, it's able to embrace these other forms of intelligence? Um, so that was like what set me on the path. And then the thing that really solidified Dynamic Land for me was I was teaching a workshop um, at, at at an arts institution um, that was about making mirror sculptures. This is something, my own hobby, you know, making kaleidoscopes and things like this is something that I enjoy doing. So I was teaching a workshop on making mirror sculptures. And the first half of it, I just, I had just gotten a bunch of materials like pre-cut mirrors and some mylar with scissors, LEDs, you know, things, things like that. And like, I just had all the students work in these little four person groups, just playing with the materials and the kind of learning that happened there was just so so great because like everyone's meeting each other they're learning from each other and then me as a teacher i can just walk around i can see what everyone's working on i can go up and make a suggestion or you know and like so that was the first half and then the second half we were using cad software and we were going to laser cut um you know our own sculptures and and that was fine but like once everyone's on their laptop, all of a sudden, as a teacher, I just had this like sinking realization that I have no idea if people are struggling or if they've, you know, maybe someone just checked out of the workshop and they're on Facebook. I have no idea. And I was just this almost like a panic attack of like, 
the the contrast which is so striking between like an environment where everyone can see what each other is doing versus an environment where everyone's in their own world. Right. Paula, what brought you here? What's your background in, in where'd yeah. you grow up? Tell us about yourself. So Paula. um it's funny we have some similarities in sort of like the 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 same kinds of um reasonings why we're here right now. Um I uh, maybe come from from a more sort of design uh, user-centered design background than the other researchers here um, so what uh, where, where my background came from is I was also an engineer and then um, started understanding the the, the kinds of um, the kinds of uh, sort of benefits that thinking about users thinking about people thinking about um, people's backgrounds, cultures, and histories, how, how that can inform how you make things. Um, and that in turn sort of informed my sort of uh, passion for becoming, um, trying to help people um, realize their, their full p potential through creativity. Um, uh, one of the things I was doing before this was I was working at a, um, at a hackerspace in Nepal called Karkana, and they, uh, they're a hackerspace, but they're also trying to... Um, in Nepal, did you in say? In Nepal, yeah, in Like Kathmandu. the roof of the world, Kathmandu? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Golden Child, yes. even Nepal? All the way there. I want the knife? <laughs> God. So, so they are actually, they have, um, they have a, um, an interesting problem where um, they're, they're trying to retain sort of... Uh, people working in Nepal, but there's sort of a brain drain from um, kind of like the, the people who are uh, learn to like are to, to be engineers, for example, end up moving out of Nepal and then uh, working in the States, for example, instead or in other places where they can um, uh, maybe make more money. Um, and so this hackerspace was actually trying to say like, hey, let's create a community where we can actually um, retain um, the the local people here and and actually um, educate other people about um, engineering. Uh, but one of the things that they were missing was the the artistic aspect of it as well, or the design aspect. And um, I was there to to help them kind of bridge the two together, to bridge the design, the art, and the technology. Um, and in, in 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 turn, I sort of uh, uh, realized that what the interesting thing about uh, Nepal, and it, there's lots of uh, similarities to our education system, but they, so all the students there, um, they take a test um, to determine where, like what career they go into, um, and the, the highest scores, they, they become doctors or engineers, and the lowest scores, they become teachers, which is such a bizarre and appalling kind of, uh, uh, negative feedback loop. So you have the people who don't achieve well on the test. They become the future educators of the people who are trying to um, are, are trying to learn. So um, so really in in Nepal uh, we learned that um, uh, there's a big problem in education and rote learning, and that was something that um, I experienced myself the idea that rote learning is such a, a, a horrible way to actually uh, understand and gain meaning um, and create meaning for yourself and um, 
And so, so in that, um, my passion has sort of become trying to figure out how to create um, tools, how to, how to create community around learning other modalities of learning that embrace modalities of learning that are not just around rote, uh, rote education. Um, and that's sort of one of the reasons uh, uh, why dynamic land appeals to me so much is that uh, one of the, like I, like I mentioned before, um, when you are creating in dynamic land, you do not need to buy into a $500 like product. You can come in um, uh, working with your hands, working with what you know how, what to do with your hands and create um, create things for yourself and create meaning uh, with whatever materials you so choose. Um, and that is something that um, that I feel like is is very meaningful to me and that um, it, it creates this radically accessible space that anyone can come in and use anything, uh, any of their modalities to to engage and learn. Um, and uh, so so that is uh, that is connected to something else that I'm deeply committed to here, which is that if we are to create a uh, um, a a new form of thought and communication for people in the future, then we must lift all people and not just the people who are sort of uh, already privileged with the technologies that um, exist today. Um, and so. Uh, when we're creating this as a community space, I really want to think in, uh, intentionally about how to create an inclusive community, how to create a place where people um, of all diversities and backgrounds can come and um, we can all learn together. So as best you can, explain how um, this space works because um, the thing that really blew me away in our in our walk around was the fact that this there was this idea of we are inside the computer or we are inside the iPad and we're really the guts that make all of this thing all of these things work and it really changed my perception of actually my devices um because i want to get in there now and there's so much more to it than just touching the screen. Um, and it, it, it was just a fascinating experience just watching everything work and how it works. And it was almost like it made it made all the sense and no sense at the exact same time. Um, so can you can you explain how the space works from, you know, the the cameras to the projections to the pieces of paper? Like, how does it how does it all come together? I guess I can start. Um, so say, for example, you come into the space, uh, you um, uh, put a piece of paper down. It has these uh, dots on it that a camera can read that um, is actually reading the code that's written out on the paper. So all the code um, that the computer sees, we can also, humans also see. And then uh, that camera says, oh, let, let me run this code. Um, and then that is uh, that running that code projects an image, for example, or whatever the code tells it to do, um, 
to uh, to illuminate in, in our language we're calling it illuminating the uh, the, the piece of paper and so um, that's sort of the kind of basic uh, premise of how it works but there's uh, much more uh, uh, sort of to the communication uh, between these different objects. So if you have a piece, a two pieces of paper, if you have a piece of paper and a camera and a projector, um, I don't know if you want to talk about it. Let, yeah, um, let's get a little bit into the weeds, not too deep into the weeds about it, but because I like that stuff, let's get a little bit into the weeds with how it works. Like, so the dots on the paper are being tracked by a camera and that camera is translating the code that's on the piece of paper into an action kind of in real time yeah does that does that make any sense I, dive, dive, your dive everything you said is is accurate yeah uh yeah uh like i guess the way i think about it is um so there's, there's this thing in programming called object-oriented programming uh-huh. that people talk about, but here it's, we have physical objects. And so a physical object, we now say, can start running computational processes, can start running programs. And you just have, you have all these objects in the world, whether they're pieces of paper or cameras or projectors or um, little clay tokens, we can now write programs that run on those objects and the um the thing that that we've done here is we've developed a communication protocol so a way that all of these objects can see each other and communicate with each other and that's sort of how th- th- that's the system that's used to 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 make everything work um and we have this notion of claiming and wishing which is sort of pretty pretty interesting i think it's like basically objects can claim some that they think something is true about the world so for example a camera might claim i see you know this image or or and then maybe some other program says well when a camera sees an image i'm going to claim that there are dots in the world at you know on the counter or on the table at these locations in in physical space and so you have this system of like ev- ev- all these objects are making claims about the world and, and sort of building on the claims that other objects made. And so that's that's how they, they talk to each other. And then you can also wish for something to be true. So you could wish that, um, you know, the piece of paper were highlighted blue and then a projector, which is also an object, says, oh, someone's wishing that that piece of paper is highlighted blue. I can do that. I'll project some blue you know, in, into a certain region of space and then fulfill that wish. And the thing that um, allows all of these things to happen is RealTalk OS. Yeah, so RealTalk is that communication model of the claims and wishes. And we just so happen to have used cameras and projectors to work with that, but but real talk is more generic than that. It's agnostic to which sensors or actuators you use. So you could, you know, instead of using a camera, you could use RFID or you know any any of these other sensors or sensors that will be invented in the future. And not only projectors as your actuators, but you could use robotics. So you could, you know, maybe I wish that, um, you know the the book were not on that table but on the lunch counter instead and so then a robot would come by and 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 fulfill that wish 
Um, and we have some experiments with robotics that we didn't get to show you uh, in our walkthrough, but we can show you after the after the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I want to see the robots. Yeah. Why wish? What what made you guys use that language? That's a good question. Um, well, because um, it's a very abstract word, right? Mm-hmm, wish. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's almost magical and and intangible when you say it. You know what I mean? Like you you imagine like a genie, or mm-hmm. you know you imagine your fairy godmother. It doesn't really fall into the realm of technical computer speak you know what i mean like it it doesn't seem as if a a a programmer um in in the very stereotypical sense would say i wish for anything you know what i mean Uh uh-huh which kind of feels in concrete we are um inspired by this uh language this programming uh tool called inform Uh which is a programming tool that people have used to make text-based adventure games uh-huh and so hold on one second yeah, we are in downtown right. oakland <laughs> and things do happen <laughs> that we have no control over and sometimes you need the police all right we're good go ahead right so so the the programming language that you're using to create these text-based adventure games um uses very um readable english so uh to create a, a text-based adventure game where you have a room, you can say there is a room, and you can say there are there is a cat in the room, and so so we're inspired by that that sort of ability to create a system just using English sentences, and we wanted to make our notion of uh, working in the system, working in our system, real talk, to be. Uh, humane and readable to other people so that is one reason why i feel like claims and wishes exist is that we uh are constructing uh we're constructing this networking language but using uh statements that people can read such as claim there is uh, a dot here or wish an object is highlighted blue Um, so very simple structures but then these structures can create very complex behaviors. It's also um, something I think children could grasp quite easily. You know, this idea of I wish for something. And, and it's one of those things that when kids wish for something, especially to their parents, it makes the parents go, well, why can't we do that? Or why can't we have that? Or why is no the first you know, thing that we say, like, why, why not? Mm-hmm. And um, I could see how children could really, the, the learning process would probably be a lot more accessible to kids with that type of language. And we're really excited about having kids come through and, and play in this space. And one of the things that we commonly say is when a, when a child looks at an, an app on their phone, for example, or on their iPad, they're not automatically going to say, oh, I know how to make this, or, you know, something's a little bit off. Let me just tweak uh, the code a little bit so I can make it my own. Um, it's really a black box that they're working with. And um, one of the things we are trying to do with our system is is have no black boxes, have everything be, be visible so that... Um, when children come into the space, they see how things are made and they know how, how to change things. Yeah, I was at a, um, I have an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, and um, him and his friend were at a, a, at a 
party with my wife and I, and they start looking around at my friend's house. And they're just like looking at every corner of the house and like all the doors and the windows. And, and so I turned to them and I was like, what are you guys doing? And they said, we can build this house in Minecraft. <laughs> and at first it was kind of like a throwaway. Oh, that's kind of funny. But they were dead serious. Mm-hmm. They were like, we could actually build this structure in Minecraft. And I felt that, and this is one of the reasons why I let my kid play Minecraft, mm-hmm. because I really like that idea of, oh, I can see something, I can realize something. Mm-hmm. And it seems like dynamic land is that place where you can actually realize a physical thing. Mm-hmm. You know, do you guys, and I know you're community based and communal based, are you anti product? Because, you know, sometimes in an environment like this, there are some things that might come out of it where people will go, oh, you know what? I want to make that or I want to make money off of that. And, you know, in a communal sense or in, in, a, in a communist era, in a communist area, um, there tends to sometimes be this anti-making money kind of vibe. Are you guys anti-product? anti-stuff going out there and making money um it's i i suppose we are if you compare us to the status quo in sort of the technology ecosystem Mm -hmm. um because all your stuff is open source yeah well it it's and and also yeah i mean i think if if we were to go the route of of a product, then it it sort of perverts the work in a way that it loses a lot of the humane uh, qualities. So, like, you know, if like I think a lot of the the creative agency part would would probably fall away if 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 we were selling. You know, rather than people making stuff for themselves, we were selling them products that they can use, right? Then, right. then that that takes away from the whole ethos of like everyone can make everything that they need themselves. And like, um, I also like when our our goal with Dynamic Land is for it to serve as a model for other community spaces in other cities or towns all over the world. And w- but when that happens, we want to make sure that it's not just replicated it's not just cloned but but that a community builds their own dynamic land for their own needs so in the same way that like every museum is different right you wouldn't want you know say the metropolitan museum is great but you wouldn't want the, the that exact museum everywhere and everywhere just has those artworks or whatever right like every museum should be about you know whatever is is um relevant to the community i think like the oakland museum is a great example if you've ever been there it's like this they they always have really great exhibits that are relevant to that particular place and we want to make sure that a dynamic land is is built by the community for the community how do you avoid uh and we talk about this lonnie and i our resident afrofuturist um we talk about um how coding could be the next kind of factory job 
and there's there's a huge possibility and you know i actually saw an article in the new york times i was talking about this we had this conversation on the podcast a year ago but how coding is kind of like the new blue collar job where there isn't um a lot of upward mobility you're just put in a room and told to write a thing how do you avoid having that happen especially when we're talking about creating the source code for your everyday living i think we're we don't think about coding as a job like i mean that's certainly like the current economy thinks of it that way but we think of coding as like writing so you know it it, it is true when you know 3000 bc when reading and writing were were first invented and like that that was then a job that very you know high paying i suppose job to be a scribe and you know keep keep track of the the kingdom's stuff right um that was a job back then but nowadays we don't think of reading and writing as like a blue collar job you could get reading and writing is just something that everyone does both you know to be productive but also for to express themselves or you know people use reading and writing to communicate just in general it's not it's not part of the economy so much as part of what it means to be human in this day and age and so we we're we're looking towards a future where programming is just something that is just creating dynamic media the way that writing is creating static media um, and it's just something that everyone is able to do. And whether that's part of your professional life or not is not really relevant to how we think about what, what we want programming to be. Additionally, currently coding right now has connotations of you're writing lines of text into a computer screen. And our notion of coding or programming is... Um, more holistic than that, it's uh, eventually we want people in dynamic land or people uh, in the future in general to be able to program using whatever modality fits them best. So for example, if they would like to visualize uh, a program by drawing diagrams, or if they would like to use sculpture, or if they would like to use uh, m moving objects around to create spatial sort of groups that create activities or programs, um, that is a totally valid way to create a program and to create an activity uh, through coding. Um, and so, so right now, the the we we think of coding as just a very um, uh, sort of textual based uh, activity. But in the future, uh, I think coding and programming uh, will be uh, will involve multiple creative forms of uh, of making. Um, how do we avoid using the culture of dynamic land? How do we avoid um, the process from being exploited? Uh, we were talking about during the walk around how, you know, of course, because I'm a, a writer and a director and, you know, um, I immediately saw how the process of dynamic land could be used in a way that excludes. It could be used in a way that segregates because it's a very advanced system. 
Um, and it's a very aspirational system. And for some reason, there's always a human being who sees potential and grabs it, holds on to it, and makes sure that only a specific group of, of people get to it. What do we have to push out there to make sure that Dynamic Land stays Dynamic Land and not Dynamic Land Inc.? Sure. I, well, one of the things that we are is that we're, we're a nonprofit. And so um, similar to the question of productizing dynamic land, uh, we are specifically a nonprofit so that we don't have to succumb to the market forces or economic forces that might, might drive this product, uh, if it were a product, to go in more evil directions, for example. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so maintaining that uh, separation from uh, for-profit organizations is something that we, we is is important to us. That we're we're not part of uh, the consumer industry. That's that's one of the things. Um, and another thing is just. Um, Going slowly is something that the for-profit world never talks about doing, but is a really valuable thing to do and to, to think long-term and to to just take your time and like really deliberately consider like what, what are the consequences of this new technology that's, that, we're, that we're putting into the world and can we do it in a way that's... Um, by being deliberate about it. So, so for example, like we're building the community here, we're, we're trying to grow the community here in such a way that we can, we can seed it with um, people from all different backgrounds. And that's really important to me personally and to all of us that um, there's, there's sort of an issue in like sort of the Silicon Valley area where um, a certain group of people is, has sort of reached critical mass in that area and then it's sort of exclusionary to people who um, aren't part of that particular community um, so if we can see dynamic land with with sort of a richness of backgrounds um, before it's sort of thrust out into the world and that that's that's the thing like if 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 we're able to to go as slowly and deliberately as we want and like we're targeting 2050 rather than targeting two years from now making a bunch of money, then um, that that will also hopefully lead to um, a better, uh, it's like not, not technology for technology's sake, but, but more like um, seeing how different people use the technology to enhance their own lives and their own um, missions in life and then make sure that we're supporting that rather than either hindering it or sort of taking agency away from the people who are, who are trying to do whatever they're trying to do. And part of that work right now for us means that we have to explicitly go to underrepresented communities and say, come join us. We want you to be a part of this, this future. And we want your perspective to be um, included in this uh this what we believe is the future of computation so have you ever got have you guys ever done something where um you went like this oh shit we better not 
do this now or uh, the world might not be ready for this dynamic of a land. Like, have you ever have you d- ever done anything that gave you cause for pause? Um, I guess so. So like one sort of tricky thing is so there's this notion of the open source movement right and like there there are a lot of things that we totally resonate with that because it's all you know open source it's it's about like understanding how your technology works like that's we're totally 100 percent on board with that um but then like there are other issues with 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 the open source community where it's like um it's very sort of internet based and so you have all these people so like open source ends up benefiting this group of people who are have you know really strong access to internet and and understand how to use you know these tools like git or you know all these how to how to program using traditional programming languages all these things so it's like if if we um some, something that we're sort of afraid of is is sort of um if if that those those kinds of forces could could keep the the segregation that we have right now where where we have these developers who who have all this agency and then all these people who who are not part of that community because they've been excluded for various reasons um so like we so that's that's like a Oh, be uh, we have a lot of hesitation about putting anything on the internet, basically, mm-hmm. and so almost we put most of our outreach work into in-person things. So getting people to come in and actually be face to face with us, and like learning from each other face to face is so different than learning from each other on the internet, and and that's been really hard for us because, I mean, there are legitimate reasons to be putting stuff on the internet, and like it's totally a valid thing that, you know, someone in North Carolina wants to open their own dynamic land. Why shouldn't they just be able to do it? Like it's true, but like we have to go slow enough and focus on this one physical location to really get it right in terms of what is the community dynamic that, that will um, ultimately be able to include everybody. Yeah. I I mean, that was one of the things I thought of when you said it was open source. And then I see, I saw the the whiteboard with all the real talk OS mm-hmm. language on it. And immediately I thought of, Oh, that's kind of like the mother dough of this entire place. Like that's where um, it all stems from. And that's where the learning kind of begins and ends. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, I think mother dough is probably the best, analogy I could think of where it's just like oh man this pizza is so good well it's because the dough is 500 years old and it's never been changed And but you know chefs come in new recipes happen but the foundation is still there and people really covet that mother dough like when you find a, a restaurant that has the best pizza in wherever and they're just like, and people go into the restaurant like, yo, let me get a piece of the mother dough. And they're like, nope, sorry, it's just here because they know if it spreads, then that um, the strength and the power of that place kind of goes away. So um, when I saw the code up there, I was like, oh, snap, like that really could be, you know, 
it could be something that could be taken and put somewhere else and used in a way that dynamic land culture doesn't fit in. And um, actually, I, I think you guys are really courageous to put it out there like that. You know what I mean? Because it, it is something that is so powerful. I, I just saw it so powerful. Um, so not putting it on the internet, I, I understand, but you still have it displayed. Are you are you afraid that it's going to get out there in, in a way that you won't be able to control? Or is that just what it is? I mean, it it, it really has to be out there because it, it has to be in the space. And that's that's a core value here is that any any computation that's running is in the space and is yeah. then people can see it. It's not it's not on some hard drive that isn't accessible to people like the point of having all of the operating system code out in the spaces so that, you know, if someone says, well, you know, how, how does the projection work or how, how do the dots work? Like we can then walk over to the OS wall and like, it's right here, here's the code for it. And then they can both see how it works and also change it. And there've been, the community members change the, the OS wall all the time. Mm. Um, we had a, like a, an artist in residence who added all sorts of illumination um, things to to the operating system because that was what he needed to do his art and it's benefited the community by by that happening so it has to be out in the space because that's how the community builds dynamic land was the first iteration of the space projectors and cameras or did you come and come to find that that was the best way it worked after a while um so i guess we've been like the the lab has been together for for four years though under different names say but like uh, the first iteration was um, just trying to um, so we all come from sort of interaction design on the screen kind of a background we all we everyone in the group has has made a bunch of great things on screens but we're all getting sort of claustrophobic and starting to see there's something wrong about like making things on a screen so. The first iteration of the space was like probably Brett just printing out a gazillion posters like and just start designing posters like just static posters and you can see if you walk around the space there are gazillion posters everywhere um, and just like starting to think about how do you communicate using a space and what does it mean to have a research lab where all of the research is out in the space and how does that affect what ideas happen in the group and what kind of communication styles happen in the group. Um, and then once the posters were out, then someone came up with the idea, well, I want to be able to like point at something on a poster and then like read more about it. And then so then there is this really simple system that was made that you would just, um, we set up a camera pointed at the poster and then a laser pointer and you just laser point at the poster and it's really easy to see a laser pointer on a camera because it's this giant bright white dot and you can't mistake it, especially if you turn the exposure on the camera all the way down, right? So the camera's just seeing black because it doesn't, you know, the exposure is really low and then you see the laser pointer, it's just this dot, super easy computer vision to do. And that was the first iteration of the system was just being able to start getting the research out in the space and then being able to point at it with the laser pointer. And then from there it was, well, 
it's really interesting to have like sort of the whole building be activated because we can now laser point at anything in the building, but now we, we can't move things with our hands. We only have these laser pointers. So then the next iteration and what we showed you today was all about tracking objects in space so that you can move them with your hands. What's your favorite thing about the space? I think my favorite thing is when the if if there's a group of people the t kind of energy that happens that's that's my favorite thing because it's really unlike well it's not unlike anything else because it's the it's the same kind of feeling I get in like a really good dance class or something where everyone's inspired by whatever someone else is doing and like spontaneous conversations start happening about like, oh, like I do it that way too, um, that kind of a thing. But I've never experienced that, but in like a programming context, yeah. you know, when they're a group of people programming, they're all on their laptops and maybe we'll have pizza together. But mo for the most part, we're all in our own world. I think one of my favorite moments was when my parents actually came into the space and I was uh, trying to explain to them what I, have been working on and previously until then I was not able to explain to my parents the the kinds of uh, work that I do the kinds of work that an interaction designer does but um, when I showed them the space and I showed them a specific project that I had made um, the project was so visual um, and inherently visual because that's how things are made in dynamic land is that you can see everything that my parents started to understand what I was doing. And then they said, wow, we know what you're doing. And it, and it's, uh, and it's very interesting. And, uh, that was, uh, an amazing kind of connection for me to say like, oh, I can bridge generational gaps using this, this platform that my parents can understand it. And I can also teach kids how to, uh, how to use it and, um, we can all coexist and uh, learn together. So that was that was that was nice. There's something about being in a room full of people and experiencing a thing, and it's really indescribable how much you get from it. You know, it's like being in a band or being in a dance class or being in a show or just being a part of an audience where you guys are all experiencing the thing at the same time and. It's something I think for some reason people have lost the idea of value in. And I, I think we're, we're, we're so focused on the individual experience that we stopped really thinking about the collective experience. Um, and that's what I felt when I walked in here. I felt like, oh, this is like you're in a band, but instead of you playing guitar, you're playing these cards, you know, or you're playing this construction of this idea. Where do you see the influences of dynamic land in the future? Not just in other dynamic lands, maybe around the world, but will it be in your kitchen? Like, will dynamic land be, you know, on at your rooftop barbecue? Like, how, how, where do you see dynamic land in the future? So Dynamic Land is our current project in a very long-term research project. And uh, we currently have this community space set up. And uh, in 
two to three years, we want this community space to be self-sufficient and a place where other people, people in the community can actually come in and make their own things. There will be a gallery downstairs where people can showcase their, their art or their science exhibits. Um, and uh, by that time, we, uh, the researchers might have moved on to a different space. Uh, we also consider dynamic land and the the kind of the, the concept of uh, the community space much similar to the Institute of the Public Library. So um, in four to five years, maybe there will be multiple dynamic lands, um, much like uh, there are libraries in local communities and, and cities. Um, in 10 to 15 years, uh, maybe the uh, platform, uh, the technology that enables dynamic land is more ubiquitous. So it is uh, integrated into the city's infrastructure, much like electricity is. So um, then we could see it in uh, other scenarios, like in hospitals where you can use dynamic uh, media to kind of enhance those those areas or in, in schools. Um, and, and so that's, that's the kind of uh, long-term vision that we have for dynamic media. Toby, where do you see it? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, everything that Paula said and like, uh, it's most interesting to me in, in more in public spaces or in places where people come together to work together or communicate or, or play or, or whatever. Um, it, so, um, like the idea of having a town square that's dynamic and anyone can just go there and start, um, you know, exploring things with computation or making things, but then other people can come in and like any, any kind of public space is very exciting to me and something that, you know, most product oriented or consumer oriented technology companies are not targeting public spaces. They're targeting, what can I sell to rich people? Um, so, and, but I do, th you know, eventually like, sure, it'll, it will be in homes and, and things. And that's, for me, it's like it's it's either less exciting or also more scary to to think about it being in in like private spaces. Uh, I'm sure that it will eventually be there, but um, that's 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 a tricky a tricky thing. Um, How do you feel yeah. about artificial intelligence in relationship to dynamic land? Um, so. Maybe an interesting way to look at it is um, there is in the in the 60s, there is this idea of um, artificial intelligence, AI versus intelligence augmentation, IA. And the idea with augmenting intelligence rather than artificial intelligence, when, when you augment your intelligence, it's it's about taking what people are are naturally good at and en enhancing it making it better or or making it so that they can now communicate um in ways that they couldn't before and then collectively solve problems that they couldn't solve before and that's different than artificial intelligence which is more about i've got this giant machine that i can feed it a question and then it chugs for a while and it spits out an answer and then i just have to take the answer for for what it gave me and like i have no 
recourse to like understand why it gave me that answer or like um that that's a very it's it's very appealing because it's like oh i can just depend on this machine to give me these answers that before i had to figure out myself or maybe i couldn't figure them out myself but it's also it's disempowering to people it it doesn't give people agency the way that augmenting their own intelligence does Paula, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, 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 I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy way out, Paula. <laughs> how do you feel the same way he does? Um, so in, I guess in, in one of the one of the principles of what, what we're trying to do here in dynamic land is that uh, the computer can only see whatever we see, whatever humans see. And um, that is a, a, a principle that helps, uh, that actually helps us understand how the computer is doing what it's doing and why it's doing what it's doing. So for example, it's running the code when a, pa a page is out because that because the, the, the camera can see it, but we can also see that code that the computer is seeing. Um, and so I think that that principle helps people understand um, the way real talk, the way the real talk system is working, um, unlike uh, the black boxes of, for example, an AI, uh, big AI machine that just gives you, spits out the answer. Um, that being said, there are a lot of things that uh, computers can do that it, uh, augment our our capabilities that um, are not visible to us. So um, in the future, we'll have to work on um, figuring out the right balance of saying like, how can, for example, computers are very good at search. They're very good at finding, uh, you know, like searching through our emails for a specific word. So how can computers and how can um, how how can that kind of computation facilitate our work in a in a new spatial kind of context? Um, for example, maybe uh, the the computer will help us find uh, the exact book on this wall in this library, for example. Um, but that's something that we would have to figure out. How do you make that visible? How do you make that search process understandable to people so that you can um, you can you can learn what the computer is doing. Right. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I have only one more question for the both of you, and this is kind of a, a, a Afrofuturist podcast question that we like to ask all of our guests, and it and it requires a little bit of future forecasting. Okay. Um, but I hope you will indulge. And the question is this: If you had the power to write the headline for the New York Times, assuming it still exists, in 2050, what would that headline be? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna take a sort of weird way out and like, and, and say like, well, maybe the New York Times isn't about headlines. Mm -hmm. And like, w what if in 2050, like the news wasn't so much like, 
the answer like like the news right now it's like it's like feeding you the answers right and like oh that's the that's that's the truth right i read the new york times that's the current truth about uh-huh. the world and that there's only one truth because there's only one new york times but like what if the news or or what if there's no more news but like in 2050 it's it's more about um here's all this stuff about this complicated world and the way that people engage it is that they they're actually able to to model the world and like see the world in 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 much bigger perspectives than than a headline and they're able to have conversations about it and so um i mean we imagine that in 2050 there'll be sort of like town hall kind of events where um people can uh sort of exp- explore explore issues using dynamic data sets and things and then and then be able to challenge assumptions and and do all these things that you can't currently do with a news article right you can't challenge the assumptions of the writer so sort of uh having allowing everyone to create their own headline for themselves with the the dynamic media um so your headline would be the New York Times. Somebody tell me what's happening today. <laughs> Which I think would probably be a lot more interesting of a newspaper. That would be definitely be more dynamic. Well, Toby and Paula, thank you so very much for allowing us to come into the space and take over your library and um, have this conversation. It's been an absolute joy to be here. It's been incredibly inspiring. Um, and, um, I, I would, I'm trying to figure out a way for me to come up here from Los Angeles every weekend and bring my, bring my son and all his friends, because I, I really see this place as how we all should be learning. Um, and not just for the future, but for right now. Can you tell us where to find you individually and dynamically? How do we find you? Individually, we are here in Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There is a website, uh, dynamicland.org. You can also find us on Twitter at dynamicland1. And uh, we're we're starting up. We're we're built. We're trying to grow the community in a way that that is bringing in people that wouldn't normally be in sort of technology circles. So um, if any listeners are in Oakland, um, definitely email us. Uh, There's an email address on the website. And uh, we'd love to meet you in person rather than meet you virtually. Great. Well, thank you all once again uh, for being on the podcast. And um, we will speak to you guys very, very soon. Like I said to them earlier, I could be up here all day, every day, doing something crazy because it's just that inspiring of a space. So um, thank you again. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Afrofuturist podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, Please contact me at Ahmed Best at the Afrofuturist Podcast.com or at Ahmed Best on Twitter. 
If you have any ideas of any great guests that we would like to talk to on the Afrofuturist podcast, please contact me again at AhmedBest at the AfrofuturistPodcast.com or contact me on Twitter at AhmedBest. Thank you all for listening again, and I'll see you next time.